It's time to awaken your inner traveler and zip around the world as money is sent to the people who rely on it. Welcome to Money Travels, presented by Visa. This summer was absolutely nuts. There were no apartments and the rents were through the roof. Jay Batra is a real estate agent in New York City. Earlier in his career, he was in the restaurant business, but found it too stressful. So he pivoted to the more leisurely pace of Manhattan's housing market. I like to be around people, be on an adventure. Real estate was perfect. New York is a very dynamic market. So from the renter's perspective, if you like something, you can't wait. You can think about it for a couple of seconds, but you got to jump on it. And that's where access to your money can make or break a deal. You can't wait for an ACH transfer to drop. Two business days in New York real estate is an eternity. Things come and go in split seconds. Welcome to Money Travels, presented by Visa. I'm Indre Viscontis. On this podcast, we follow the money as it zips around the world, enabling our fellow humans to survive and thrive. And we talk to the experts who are building the tools that will transform the next generation of money movement. Whether it's instantly paying for something in a store or online, or sending money to a friend or relative, we've come to expect continuous access, speed, and convenience when it comes to the real-time movement of our money. But why is it then that when it comes to transferring money between our own accounts, the process can become cumbersome and frustrating? Let's uncover how account-to-account transfers should and can occur in real time with Nicole Stiller, VP Head of Domestic Payments for North America at Visa Direct, and Horacio Diaz-Ada, CFO at STEP, a first-of-its-kind financial platform that empowers teens and adults to build credit, invest, save, and spend. Welcome to Money Travels, Nicole and Horacio. Thank you. It's excited to be here. Thank you. Same. Super excited. Several recent surveys have asked U.S. teenagers how they feel about their financial futures. And a lot of them are unsure, not only of how they'll pay for college, but even just sort of basic financial literacy seems like something that is causing them some anxiety, especially when it comes to their futures. We already have a mental health crisis in this age group in particular. Being stressed about money seems like it's just adding fuel to the fire. So I want to first ask you, Horacio, how is STEP poised to help this situation? Step for Context, we're a financial services platform focused on teenagers and young adults, not just teenagers, uh, Gen Z more broadly. And we see this every day with our users. Gen Z is in some ways more financially empowered, I think, than most other generations, if I compare to sort of when I was a teenager and a young adult. And obviously that comes with increased level of stress. You know, are you doing the right things? Are you taking the right considerations? Are you making the right decisions at different points in time? And our goal at STEP is, I would say, twofold. One is to provide the products to help people get started on their financial journey with the right foot. And second, provide them with the tools and the knowledge to make good use of those products and just make good financial decisions in life. And I'd say it's very clear that STEP has kind of hit really something like core to this demographic and to this generation. Uh, since we launched the product just over two years ago, we signed about 4 million users. I think within the first five months or six months, we signed about a million users, which is like absolutely incredible. Wow, uh, yeah. The demand from the products and just how 
excited and eager they were to have a tool for the first time that was easily accessible for them uh, to be able to manage their, their financial lives. Why do you think this particular generation is so empowered? It's a good question. I think it's definitely something around social media and the way ease with whom they communicate, not necessarily just with people in their neighborhoods or in their schools, but you know across the world. So the access that they have to peers that think and are facing different realities. Many of the folks are in their later teens, were early teens, you know, and were even young kids in families that particularly in the U.S., struggled during the 2008 financial crisis, etc. I wonder whether there is some of that in the, in the issue as mm-hmm. well. So what does Step provide that's different or goes beyond some of the other cash apps? You know, let's say there's a kid who's an influencer on social media. They get paid from advertisers right into their bank account. What additional value would Step provide beyond something like that? Our vision for STEP is to be the financial services platform of choice for Gen Z. I mean, in some ways, our goal, you could say, is for every teenager to get their financial journey started on STEP and hopefully use STEP for years to come. Our initial product, what we launched with about two years ago, was both a P2P platform that kids could use with their families, with their friends, etc. And let's call it a traditional bank account attached to a spend card. And I call it very consciously a spend card because it's kind of a hybrid of a debit card and a credit card. It's really a credit card, but from a UX perspective, it feels more like a debit card. But the really unique thing about the step card is that it enables teenagers to build credit history before they become 18. And this is something that's uniquely very, very differentiated about our product. Now, from where we are today, we've since then added the ability for our users to save money. We're working on the ability for your users to invest money, both in the stock market and cryptocurrencies. And we will continue to build out our platform depending on what our users are asking. And the great thing about teens is they have a very high bar for what they expect from financial services. Their benchmark of what a good financial services institution is not the branch. So they're telling us all the time what they want more of, what things they want to be better. And we'll continue to expand the platform from our users for sure. And is there anything you need to worry about in the fact that these are minors? How does the permission system work? That's a great question. And it definitely makes our business a lot more complex and a lot more interesting in some ways. So every teenager on step has their parents, a supervisor, a guardian on step as well. And the guardian is not only required to be able to open the account or to make the account functional if you want, but then also the guardian or the parent, we call it sponsor internally, is able to see the financial transactions, the activities that the teen has, where they're spending their money, who they're sending money to, who they're receiving money from, etc. We've taken a very, let's call it opinionated perspective that we don't want parents to control the activities of the teenagers, but we do want them to be able to see what's happening. But the reason why we don't want to provide controls is because we actually want to encourage conversations and the family so that when the parents are no longer around or the guardians are no longer around, hopefully through those conversations, they've developed good habits. Yeah, it sounds like someone at STEP has taken a good parenting class. Because this is all really good advice. Nicole, I wonder if you want to jump in a little bit and talk about sort of the benefits of real-time payments versus, you know, the traditional ACH transfers that took time. This generation expects things to happen instantaneously. And there are probably benefits and costs or risks in terms of making these payments quicker, both for the parents and for the users. I think it's hyper relevant for teens, but I think it's relevant for everyone. As we've shifted to 
digital payments and this idea that you can email anybody in the world and they get it instantly. You can text people whenever you want. You can order pizza to be delivered exactly to your house directly from your phone. And this idea that things are happening both digitally and instantly is manifesting in expectations for money movement. And I think as Horacio described, for people that are digitally native, like Gen Z and others, it's more prevalent. But even so, you know, I had to pay my mom money back for my sister's joint birthday present. I had to open a 529 account for my daughters. I had to cash out funds from a brokerage account. And all of those I did online. But the expectation when I actually cashed money out of my brokerage account because my hot water heater broke. Mm. And I'm hosting for people and I go, oh my gosh, we have this huge expense. (laughs) And they were like, well, I have to wait for the trade to settle. And then I have to wait five more days. So it was like a week before the money got back into my account. And I'm thinking, what is going, I want to go to the store and like go buy this stuff. And I think that expectation and experience that folks are having every single day. And we actually did, Visa conducted a study to just understand exactly how that manifested. 88% of the people that we surveyed said that they want real-time access to their money. And 74% of those surveyed said they would switch financial institutions or financial service providers so that they could get access to real-time funds availability. And so I think that just tells you exactly in numbers what we all start to see and understand. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely been my experience. I've actually switched banks to one that's more efficient for that exact reason. And at the top of the episode, we heard from a real estate agent in New York who's in this very competitive market. And even if you're renting, if you don't have your deposit, go now. Ten minutes later, someone else is going to get the apartment. So I think this has real real consequences. And of course, most people don't have thousands of dollars lying around in their checking accounts. What are the challenges when we're going from this kind of traditional model of taking money from a brokerage account, transferring it to a savings or a checking account, and then having access to that money? Where are the pain points and how has Visa Direct and or STEP solved that problem? I think it's a really good question. And often when I talk about dinner parties, Nicole, what do you do? I work for Visa. And I'm like, I thought Visa was a credit card company. And the reality is, is, and it will get to the question that you asked is Visa is a network that's been connecting banks and businesses so that you and I could go to the store and get a television or go to the store and buy groceries for the week. We give them a debit card and then we walk out with the stuff. Well, that money has to be exchanged and people have to know and trust that that money is going to move when you replace from cash into something digital that nobody can seize, but money's happening. And that's what Visa Direct has done is built on that infrastructure of consumer to business payments and saying, hey, businesses can actually pay consumers, right? Whether it's payroll, whether it's disbursement, whether it's account funding. And so when I think about why is it hard to move money instantly, it's because there are multiple people, you know, when you and I would just exchange cash, 
you saw me and I saw you and I handed you the cash, right? Or I handed you a check, right? So you saw the money and you saw it was good. When you and I are still interacting, but there are banks on both sides and there's parties in between that says, do I know that person? Do I trust it? How do I validate that that person has money, who they are, who they say they are, that I can believe that it's going to happen so that I can provide my good or service or or I can make the funds available to you in a step account as an example. And I think that's where the technology underneath is really important. And that's what the Visa Direct Network is all about. And Orasso, in a number of points in your career, you've been responsible for expansion initiatives. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about working with Visa Direct on kind of this expansion piece, as I imagine, you know, obviously that's one of your areas of expertise. What have you learned along the way that you think people should know? I mean, Visa Direct has been a huge partner to us, and that's huge for us. We are dealing with families. You know, families have emergencies. Many families don't have a lot of money, don't have large deposit accounts. So the ability to move... 15, 20, 50, $100 very quickly because it's needed right now for a very specific needs is massive for our customers. So when we actually survey our customers, two of the things that come at the top of what our users appreciate the most about STEP is the convenience. And this is around families being able to move money instantaneously, but also real-time transfers. Many of our peers or competitors or, you know, companies that operate in the same space takes two, three, five days to be able to fund their accounts. So I think, you know, one of the key learnings from a lot of this work is how do you listen to your customers, really understand what they need, what they value, and then try to deliver on those needs and find partners that you can scale on. In this case, for us, it's been Visa Direct. But if for whatever reason they have money on the step platform that they want to take to another account, say the teen has $100, but for whatever reason, the parent needs the money in their bank account that they use, whichever that account is. We don't offer the ability to instantaneously move those funds directly. We're working on that and should have it early next year. Continue thinking about opportunities to provide money movement, connect your platform to as many other platforms as possible so that customers feel that the money is there, is immediate, that they have access to it, that it's not blocked. If they have the money and then it takes them a week, as Nicole was saying, to take the money somewhere else so they can make use of it, that feels costly. It's not costly in terms of dollars and fees that you pay, but it's costly in terms of time. So how do you continually look for opportunities to reduce the time, make things more instantaneous, so they really feel native to their experience. And actually, from a learning perspective, that's really important because teenagers don't yet have a fully functioning prefrontal cortex and delayed gratification makes learning really tough. But if you can see the effects of your actions immediately, I can imagine that that really helps them learn. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we see this all the time. I mean, let's say they make a purchase at Amazon and then they hate, they cancel the purchase and they expect the refund. And if the refund doesn't happen within two minutes, they're writing to step being, hey, when is the money? <laughs> they don't have the concept of something is pending. Why should it be pending? Why isn't done already? <laughs> so yeah. absolutely. For our demographic, being able to provide instantaneous solutions is hugely valuable from a quality of service, perception, etc. Nicole, you talked about some of the investigations or surveys that Visa has done about sort of their consumers' use cases. What insights have Visa gained globally from that perspective? I think the digital transformation and expectations on real-time access to funds is prevalent in all developed countries, right? But the ability to do so is different based on country. 
So if you think about the UK or India, which have robust kind of longer term, faster payments or real time payment rails, those consumers in those markets have had more access to doing so in the future. So there's this in the US, we're at this transformation point where there's lots of more nascent rails like Visa Direct is a lot more mature than other real time payment rails in the US versus real time payment rails in the UK or India. And I think what that means is everyone expects it, but how much they're used to using it, how many people are adopting it is in different places, right? We know that Gen Z are interested in digital first solutions and are more apt to try new things. And that's persistent across geography. And then I think the adoption levels of more mature consumers or individuals, it varies based on what else they've had experience with in the market. Checks work. They work great. Why do I need to change? You know, oh, look, I might even have a smartphone that can take a picture and deposit it, you know, versus, you know, oh, do I need to give them my phone number? What are they going to do? Are they going to call me? You know, so I think there's this, you know, learning curve around adoption that varies by market. But everywhere that we talk to and see absolutely are interested in real time money movement for sure. And Horacio, you immigrated to the U.S. from Uruguay. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience and what role financial stability and mobility played for you? Yeah, I was reflecting on that question actually yesterday. I was like, oh, how great it would have been if I had had access to STEP actually uh, mm-hmm. when, when I first immigrated to the U.S. Because one of the things I never thought about was the importance of building credit history in the U.S. You know, I went to a pretty good university, studied economics, got a job that felt like a dream job when I finished college. And then I had to go find an apartment in Boston. This is the the first city I moved to after finishing college. I couldn't find an apartment, not because I couldn't pay for it, but because I didn't have the credit history to show the landlord that I was actually, in fact, going to be paying them in the future. (laughs) Because I just wasn't aware. I didn't realize how important that was in the U.S. financial system specifically. I wonder, you know, you've also done some work with regions like Asia Pacific, where we've talked about on the show how there's a big digital footprint there. A lot of the financial transactions that happen there are digital already, but maybe they're not quite as fluid or as fast. Within Asia, a lot of the payments are domestic, and that's easy and fast. But when you're crossing borders in Asia, that can be problematic. I wonder if Nicole can speak to some of the challenges in that region. Sure. When we think about account to account payments and the need to move money between my own accounts, often in the US alone, people have eight financial accounts and conduct, you know, 12 transactions between them every single year. And then when you add multi-market or having your own accounts across borders, you say, well, how do I move that? I need to move money for many reasons between my accounts on and offshore. Well, how would I do that? And we think about the complexities in a couple of different ways. The first is what type of account am I having, right? In Asia, especially, there is a proliferation of wallets, non-traditional financial accounts. So that's like, oh, I want to send to a wallet That's maybe not housed at a financial institution, but that's how I buy things in China, as an example, right? Well, in order to serve Nicole, the customer, you need to be able to reach whatever type of account 
that she may have, right? And that can be a wallet or it could be an account-based payment. Sometimes it might be easier for me. I don't know my account number, but I have my debit card because I happen to be traveling to that country. So let me pull out my debit card so I can get access to the funds where I need it when I need it, right? And so there's just this idea of how many endpoints can you reach if you're offering an option to move money between individuals based on where they live and what type of accounts they may have. And then the second piece is, like you mentioned, it's our regulatory and AML concerns. Is that person allowed to? Is the type of transaction that they're allowed to do? Yeah. Do you trust Nicole? Do you know who Nicole is? Is Nicole a sanctioned person in that market, right? There's a lot of things that financial institutions and the networks that are moving this money have to make sure that we are combating fraud and honoring all of the regulatory requirements in each of their jurisdictions. And that's a lot of the complexity that Visa and Visa Direct is trying to solve for it so that when companies like Step and others who just want to support the individual. And this teen who maybe is an army brat and needs to move around the country, how are they going to do that, right? And they need to have access to everything. And we want to make sure that the fintechs and companies that are innovating on our network have access to best-in-class reach that's simple and secure for anybody who's going to innovate on the network. Generally, when we think about the time that elapses between, say, you know, ACH transfers, so two to three days before it lands in your bank account, et cetera, there's this perception that that increases the security of the transaction. And I wonder if it's the opposite, you know, in some ways, real time authorization, if I'm going to buy something off of Facebook marketplace, I'm not going to tell the person, okay, yeah, in two to three days, you'll get your money. But can I have my, you know, bunk bed now? (laughs) They're never going to give it to me, right? It's like much safer to be like, okay, well, wait for it to be in your step account, and you can see it. and, And then I can, you know, haul away the bed frame. Nicole, I wonder if you could just speak to this notion I think that a lot of people have that the time that it takes actually makes for a safer transaction. And yet, potentially, this two to three day window could actually leave businesses more susceptible to loss or more exposed to risk. Yeah, well, I think there's two things going on here. The first is like, just legacy ways that financial institutions move money between one another, right? The banks used to like carry bags of money, right? And like meet at a thing and like talk about who owed who money based on which money moved, right? And you used to carry bags and, you know, deliver that. And so there's this idea that you needed to move money and how the banks connect with one another is just legacy technology infrastructure that is slow, right? And that is different from Is it safe, right? When the transaction is faster, you need to have a network and all of the entities that know how to screen on top of that, which is what Visa has been doing forever, right? If you think about you walking into, you mentioned the marketplace example, right? Or you go buy a TV, right, on Black Friday, and then you walk out with the TV, but money hasn't actually moved yet. But because of this real-time authorization, there's a real-time phone call, you can almost imagine, that your 
debit card bank, like Visa calls that bank and says, hey, are you good for the money? Is she good for the money? And we and the bank says yes or no, that allows you to leave. So there's this real-time authorization that happens that gives the company a surety that you are eligible to use that card and it's safe. And I'll say that that assurance is like extremely important. Like on our case, we see this a lot when we do our customers can fund their step account with their debit card, or they can also choose to link their bank account and do it via the bank account, which takes three to five days. And what we see a lot is when people use their bank account, we can tell them, hey, you have $50 in your bank account. So then they say, hey, we want to fund $40. We're like, great. Yeah, go ahead. You have $50 in your bank account. But maybe three days later, when that ACH request actually hits their bank account, maybe they only have $20. So like one or two things happens. Their money request gets returned. It's pretty frustrating to wait three days or four or five days to then be told, hey, actually, no, just kidding. You didn't get your money. So that's one potential outcome. Or another potential outcome is they get overdrafted in the other bank account. Well, that's also extremely frustrating. So the ability to get that like real-time phone call to know whether you know, you're good for the money, it's actually not just valuable for us, it's extremely valuable for the customers to avoid these frustrating experiences, which maybe folks like you and I, maybe we don't experience because maybe we have more than $50 in our bank account. But, you know, for a teenager or for a family that's, you know, struggling to get to the end of the month, this is really important and pretty critical. So it has real life implications from that perspective, too. So I can understand why STEP would benefit from this network that Visa Direct provides. But Nicole, how does Visa benefit from partnerships with companies like STEP? I love this question because if we think about Visa and Visa Direct as a smartphone, right? And you think about why is a smartphone so awesome? Is it awesome because it's a phone or is it awesome because there are these custom applications that get built on top of it, like my photos and has my email and has my fitness tracker. That's what makes it exciting. And when I think about the mission of a company like Step, which is all about financial inclusion, financial wellness for this population of teens that really need it and that are underserved in the market, that's not going to come from Visa. It's going to come from the step application that's built on top of it that really builds an integrated approach to meet teens where they're at and give them a bespoke solution that only step could provide. And so we're excited to have a platform that allows for vetted financial institutions and their partners in fintech like step to really create solutions that solve real people's problems. And that's really where step comes in. So this would be a great place for us to move on to the last part of our episode, which is our rapid fire questions. But before we do, I just wonder, Nicole or Horacio, is there anything that you still would like to add to this conversation? I think the example that Horacio was describing around real-time funding and the authorization, like if you think about a story, and I used to go to the movies, I hope the movies come back. But as a teenager, it was one of the things that I got to do all by myself without parents. And popcorn is expensive. You know, I bought the ticket mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I want to go buy popcorn. Well, how am I going to go do that? Well, I need to add funds into my account, right? So who am I going to call? I'm going to call my mom. Hey, mom. <laughs> 
can I have some money? Because and now because like of, fifty dollars, I need fifty dollars <laughs> for the popcorn. <laughs> Especially if I wanted a soda, like Diet oh, Dr yeah. Pepper. Oh my gosh! So Diet Dr Pepper and some buttered popcorn is my jam. And I need $50, right? Because that's how much <laughs> those cost nowadays. So I'm going to call. And because of platforms like Step and Visa Direct, the mom, let's put you in this example, right? You're going to use your debit card and the Step platform is going to say, oh, okay, your bank has authorized that transaction, right? You are good for it. So it's a yes, right? So they can then automatically give me, Nicole, the hungry teenager, funds into my account immediately without worrying about whether or not you're going to overdraft, right? Whether or not you're going to not have money in the account and then Step can't, like, has already given Nicole money. Or I only can get the popcorn and not the Diet Dr. Pepper because there is not enough money in the account. So I think that's really brings this idea to life around how this real-time technology and this real-time authorization allows the mom to feel comfortable, the teenager to get real-time access, and to step to make sure that funds are available in real-time for the teen. Well, I, I'm sold. I mean, if this gets one less request from my ever-hungry kids <laughs> to, <laughs> to feed them, and it's just, you know, on my phone, that sounds much more efficient. And maybe one more thing from my side, maybe less at the step-specific level and more sort of at the, at the industry-wide level, I think for years now, I don't know, maybe 10, 12, 14 years, we've been talking about open banking and whether it's sort of that's a reality or a promise. And maybe in some regions, it's more of a reality than a promise. If I think about the US, you can have, you know, 15 different banking apps. The reality is like, if moving money between them takes five days or seven days at best, as Nick, you know, as Nicole mentioned in some cases, well, this open banking thing is really like a promise. It is like, it's very unopen if it takes so long to move money in between. So not just as someone in the industry, but also as a consumer, I think the promise of being able to move money seamlessly between my different financial service providers, I think it's hugely important and, and impactful and hopefully something where we can continue to make progress as a country. All right. Well, on many travels, we like to end each episode with some rapid fire questions. Horacio, how do you think Gen Z will change money movement or our financial future more generally? Their baseline expectation for financial services is not the branch. So they're not saying, hey, this is so much better than a branch. So they are pushing platforms like Step and our peers to really take experiences and our products and the way we think about convenience to a totally different level. So I think we're only at the very tip of the iceberg of how far they're going to push us to really deliver much, much better products. Nicole, what do you think you'll miss most when cash no longer exists? For now, it means that I'm relying on a phone and I am trying to continue to stay present in the moment. And so, you know, oh, I want to pay. And then I get out my phone and I just said no screens. So I think there'll be a period of time until like there's some chip in my brain that just scans me, the person. Uh, I think that's what I'll miss the most, having to rely on a screen. Nicole, what do you wish you could tell your 18-year-old self related to financial literacy? I think I would like to push myself to have bought sooner. I mm. live in the Bay Area and I really wish I had tried really hard to buy that studio apartment at the time because I would have been better off for it. 
Horacio, what do you think is overrated when it comes to financial technology? I don't know about overrated, but I think underrated, honestly. One of the things that's really, really hard for financial technology firms is the combination of, or the intersection of identity management and risk management. It's extremely hard and, you know, you're constantly trying to balance this tension of protecting the users, protecting the financial ecosystem, protecting the company ourselves, but at the same time, minimizing friction to our users. Nicole, what aspect of money movement is more complicated than most people think? When you move from face-to-face transactions where I see the person and I'm handing the money, when there are multiple parties and steps digitally in between and across markets, it is very complicated to ensure that Nicole is paying Horacio and doing so, validating that it's me and all of the steps in between. All right, last one, and either of you or both of you can answer. Can you predict the future of money movement with a single catchy phrase? I think for me, it'll just be instant. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it's all about digital, fast, and integrated. Well, Nicole and Horacio, thank you so much for joining us on Money Travels. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks again to Nicole Stiller and Horacio Diaz for being with us on the show today. It's really great to see the work they're doing, using technology in innovative ways to meet the needs of people across the planet. If you're enjoying Money Travels, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review so more people can find the show. And maybe tell a friend, too. Until next time, I'm Indre Viscontis, and this has been Money Travels, presented by Visa. Visa.